Y'all know about Wayne Tebow? He's an American painter, California painter. Went to Sac State, taught at Sac City. Eventually, he uh, started teaching at UC Davis for a long career of about 30 years. He retired about 30 years ago. He's going to turn 100 this year, hopefully, God willing. These painters live long lives, a lot longer than poets. I'm not sure what's behind that. He's kind of a commercial artist style, commercial pop. He's often compared to, you know, Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein. He's exhibited with those guys. He was born before Andy Warhol. Paints a lot of cupcakes and pastries and things like that. Kind of, uh, again, kind of commercial. Really pastel colors, ice cream cones. It's interesting, there are a lot of his paintings in the Crocker Museum in Sacramento. Very cool place to visit. My wife's office, she has a, a painting. It's one of these kind of, uh, it's not a painting, but it's a, a print on canvas. It looks like a painting of the Port of Stockton. I, I don't know when it's set. I mean, maybe it's set before containerization took the romance out of shipping. I mean, it has tramp steamers with their booms and derricks and cargo nets and the way that bulk cargoes used to get out of a ship and into the world. And it's in that same kind of pastel, soft, and sort of flat, almost two-dimensional style that kind of defines Tebow. He started to paint the Delta in the in the late 90s or 2000s. I'm not really sure if he did that kind of work before, but again, that sort of contrast between the style of his earlier commercial art, which seems kind of reminiscent of his time in New York, really, in a lot of ways, to this uh, California landscape is interesting to me. I'm interested in the Delta. I've spent a lot of time down there in the last four or five years, living at the end of a sloped wooden dock on a 30-year-old sailboat that I keep patching together and keep going. It's a great area to sail. Um, there are deep water channels all over the place, hidden little sloughs. You can zip down to the Bay Area. It's a wild and wonderful area. There are million-dollar mansions, mostly old farmhouses that are converted into tasting rooms for wineries and event spaces, rusting hulks of old ships, cast-off American industry, and booming new economic opportunities. In Freeport, there's a guy selling elk jerky out of half a 1941 Chevy pickup. In Isleton, there's a place called Rogelio's. It's Mexican, Chinese, and American food. Casino, card room, rooms to let. Seems to be a combination of just about everything there is in the Delta. Mid-century style resorts with names like the Coquette, Korth's Pirate's Lair. It's just a really diverse kind of wonderland if you're into 
looking for traces of the old hidden California. The other day I went down to take a look at the boat. It's been neglected during the lockdown and I rolled through the town of Locke. Locke's a crazy little town uh, on the east side of the river down almost Walnut Grove. There are a bunch of cranky, sloping, bent, battered and bowed old buildings down there that are built on piles driven into the mud and they're all barely hanging on. It posed as a southern black town where Charlie Parker and his band of touring musicians, including the young Red Rodney, there was a gag about him being an albino so that he could travel with them in the south. They're trying to make some money. They stayed in lock, and it pretty much looked exactly like it does right now. If you want to look at the, if you want to look at Clint Eastwood's movie Bird, you'll see Locke. I drove down there, and all the tourists were gone, and it was very unusual because people live there, but tourism is about the only game now. There's some interpretation, some restored buildings, that sort of thing. It's interesting. But in the middle of these sloping, bent buildings, somebody had spilled a fresh coat of hot top down the middle of the street. It's like, why did they bother to do that? I mean, I guess it keeps the dust down, but it it was odd to see that street paved. Maybe it was the first time they had been able to get the cars off of it in 20 years. There's an old 67 Impala two-door down there that's kind of rusting into the earth. It's kind of a valuable car. I don't know what it's doing there. It's there every time I've ever been there. It was there the other day. There's also a really nicely restored 65 Chevy Suburban. I guess the most interesting thing to me there is the Diloy Museum. It's a gambling museum. Locke was full of gambling houses up until probably the 1960s or so. They may have persisted beyond that, but I think they were pretty much dying out after the war. Other things were going on during Prohibition. They, of course, were roaring and wide open. They were far enough from town that the cops couldn't get there very quick, but close enough that you could just drive over there and drunk drive on home. There's lots of illegal booze and illegal gambling and I guess illegal everything probably at the time. The museum doesn't look like much of a museum. There's some there's some gla- uh, plexiglass over some games. There's an interesting mix of Chinese games and, and you know Western whatever Monte Carlo games whatever you call them. I'm not really a gambling aficionado but really man it just It looks like the dealers picked up their money and put their pistols in their pockets and walked out the door. I mean, it just—it really looks like it was just running the other day. You could probably wipe out the interpretation and turn it back into a gambling house in a half an hour's solid work. It's a creaking, sloping old town. The houses are some built up so that they can see the river and some down in the down in the muck, probably below the level of the water. Most of the land in the delta is below the level of the water. From years of continuously pumping water out of it for farming, the land just continues to settle.
the Chinese, of course, originally came there to work in the malarial-infested swamps of the Central Valley. It was just a massive swamp wasteland. There was an act in the 1860s to try to reclaim useless land, as they called it. They hired a great deal of Chinese labor to dig canals and build levees and clear the land in between, at which point they would start putting water back on it and farming it. There's still a little bit of that wild, unrecovered low country in the Delta that's really fascinating. There's a, an interesting combination of the channelized river and the huge levee system and the drawbridges and the pumps the fields and the obvious heavy, heavy industrialization and the amount of waterfowl and wildlife you'll see off to the side in areas. The same kind of incongruity of a paved street in a ghost town I think defines the delta. You drive along that area from Sacramento down to Locke. It's a huge wine-producing area right now. I guess really the Delta is bordered by wine-producing areas, Lodi, Napa on the other side. There's some fancy wineries and tasting rooms, and there are some tumble-down shacks in the little towns, Locke, Walnut Grove, Isleton. There's still visible traces of the Chinese labor in Isleton. It had a substantial Chinese population. It had a very substantial Japanese population, too. There were canneries, several major canneries in Isleton. And they had about 90% Asian workforce. About half of them were Japanese. redistribution of Japanese around the state following the infamous relocation order is another important topic to take up at another time. The canneries closed in the 1960s. They were, it was all part of a general pattern in American life to make the production of your food invisible to you. If you don't see the hands that make it, you won't worry about where they go home and sleep at night, I guess. I'm not sure how it works at any rate. Agricultural labor is much less visible than it used to be when these towns had mixed economies and different people living within them. One of the interesting aspects of the country is that it's difficult to see the water unless you're up on the levee particularly, as I mentioned before, since the land is often below the water. You're driving along, you look out, particularly on the San Joaquin, on the Stockton side, and you'll see a warehouse or a factory coming down the levee, and eventually you'll realize it's a ship. It's up in the air. You can't see the water, but you see the ship crawling along. The port of Stockton... It's got about everything any port town has going for it. It's still a really busy port, despite containerization, despite the huge um, 
operation in the port of Oakland. It's still a pretty viable port, particularly for bulk cargoes, grain. It also turns around a lot of cargo that comes up in shipping containers from the rail line that runs up from along the four up from the Bay Area. It's pretty much a continuous line of, of trains. If you go to Collinsville on the north side, it's across from Pittsburgh and Antioch. You can see the concrete plants and the factories over there still working. You can see the train running up port to port full of low boys with shipping containers on them. And you can see it from a ghost town that used to have a, a large Italian population. Schools conducted in Italian. It's just an Italian village transported to the low marsh country in the Delta. It's listed on a lot of California ghost town kind of registry kind of things. But there's not much more left of it. About, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, there was a large fire that took out about half of the town, which included most of the historic buildings. That contrast between the left behind and the abandoned and the bustling and the moving, I think, really characterizes the region, maybe California in general. California eats its dead. It doesn't have the sort of record of the past in the way that the Mississippi River Delta does. I guess it has a shorter history, at least in terms of white settlement. And it probably, I guess, also has a lower national cultural significance, and yet the economic significance of the Delta region is still profound. The Delta waters the state, and the state feeds the world. You used to be able to take a steamboat to near Fresno, past Stockton all the way from San Francisco, That was before they started to build the huge water projects. Friant Dam, California Aqueduct, started to just take the San Joaquin out of the mountains and send it north. Sorry, I mean send it south towards Los Angeles, up the Central Valley instead of just shoving it out to the ocean. The replumbing of the entire state of California, taking the San Joaquin River sending it south rather than just shoving it out to the ocean was at the time the world's largest water and power project it's pretty amazing uh, change in the climate the scale of the human changes to the landscape in california is astounding The natural beauty of the state is largely the modified beauty of the state to serve agriculture, as well as logging and mining, which are less important now economically. Agriculture 
is still king in California. No matter how many people want to go to Hollywood to work in the movies or San Jose to work on a computer, agriculture is still king. Where I stay on the Delta on 17 Mile Slough, there's a collection of sinking cranes, rusting towboats, houseboats sinking into the water, abandoned boats on the shore. And our place is really nice, by the way. I mean, there are some million-dollar yachts in there. Not ours, of course. It's that contrast between the we're busy and we're working and we threw it away and we're here to have a good time that makes the Delta fascinating, odd, incongruous. There are a group of guys who live across from us. That guy lives in an old steel ship, a couple of old steel ships over there. They got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. They'll bring a party barge in there in the middle of the night to work on, and it'll be gone in the morning after a flurry of construction activity. Shirtless, bearded guy in flip-flops will be running a chainsaw. My wife calls that whole section over there the feral man camp. I'm not sure whether to scorn them or join them, frankly. I'm kind of the same way in the Delta. I'm not a yacht club type. I like wandering around the dock barefooted with a Miller High Life in my hand, throwing a jig at a bass. The levees have sheep grazing on them. Basque sheep herders zip by on their four-wheelers with a pack of wild dogs swarming around them. They've got the white giant Pyrenees dogs to guard the sheep and the herding dogs to herd them. And seems to be the main goal of the Pyrenees dogs to try to kill the collies that herd the sheep. Just a lot going on down there. And then you see the ships coming up the river. You see the trains. You see the people cutting hay and moving livestock and planting row crops. You see grain trailers going down the levee. There's just a lot of work going on. The Delta, like most large river systems, is a supply chain. Supply chains are defined by transportation. Is it on the railroad line? Is it on a freeway? When it's on a natural feature like a river, I think there's a complexity to it. Some people want to live on the river in a shanty boat or a houseboat like so many people do. People can travel up and down the river, some for recreation, some for sport, some for economics, some just because it's a convenient way to hide out from everything else. And when a supply chain is built up around the river and the area is still economically viable even when the river is less an important feature of that supply chain, it still hangs on to the sort of cultural human residue of, of its past in a way that a freeway or a railroad doesn't. And the massive shipping industry in the ports 
Sacramento and particularly Stockton are still very economically viable and important. It's just that the ships are so large now and the crews are so small that they don't represent what they used to culturally, but they're still moving that massive amount of goods. And it's just less visible unless you happen to see that giant ship crawling down the levee when you're trying to go to lunch at the windmill. It seems to me that the Delta wears a record of what people do to earn a living, what they do for recreation, how they handle their vices, how they get rid of the old and bring in the new in a way that's at least more visible, if not more honest, than other places I've seen in the country. Thinking about all this has me looking at those Tebow paintings in a new way. I sort of like a rough working-class art. I like Winslow Homer. I love that painting the fog warning where the guy's hands are nailed to the oars. His face is obscured. Could be anyone. Could be me. Just a guy. He's got those fish. You're like, yeah, he's sacrificing his life for your fish. I get it. I've been to church. I know what that cross means. And some paintings of cupcakes, I don't know what they mean. You know, I'm, I'm wondering what, what this is. Some soup cans, Andy Warhol, I don't get it. But when I think about it, I think about the wine industry. You know, you've got these beautiful, luxurious bottles of wine. When I drive by those vineyards, I look at those grapes. I'm like, look at those beautiful black grapes. And you see some guys out there in straw hats with dark skin. Under the baking sun, it's 101 out. The wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. And they're out there taking care of those grapes. And there's not a picture of those guys on the bottle. You just see the beautiful finished product. It's luxurious. It's something you get because you've made it. Those cupcakes, ice cream cones, and cookies seem to represent the same thing. The end point, the luxurious end point for the consumer that totally disguises all the sweat and toil and hard labor that it took to bring those to you. Which I think is not unlike the process of making a painting and Tebow. Like the guy selling elk jerky or rohelio or some of these people I'm talking about has just figured some of this stuff out. 